Welcome to Paradigm Shift, the podcast about the intersection of business and law. By changing yourself, you can change your business. Now, here's your host, Christina Martini. Welcome to Paradigm Shift. My name is Christina Martini, and I'm your host as we explore the intersection of business and law. Today, we are going to be talking about the importance of productivity, creativity, and taking brain pause moments. It is my pleasure to welcome Debbie Viscochel to the show. Debbie leverages her expertise in neuroscience to coach audiences and clients to reach peak levels of achievement. With a focus on productivity and creativity, she delivers an understanding of how neuroscience can enhance performance for leadership and their teams. Coaching protocols at Optimal Edge Performance are all based in brain science, specifically live EEG and instantaneous data collected from the autonomic nervous system, enabling clients to take their unique performance to their highest level. Through experiential exercises and storytelling, she offers audiences multiple solutions to strengthen performance skills, including resilience, collaboration, discipline, focus, innovation, and self-compassion. Debbie has an electrical engineering background, a psychology degree, extensive neuroscience training, and is board certified by the Biofeedback Certification International Alliance. Her unique combination of science and emotional acumen led her to work with some of the business world's highest performers. Debbie shares her expertise as a TEDx speaker Disrupt HR Innovator and Writer for the Naval Institute Publication Proceedings and the online publishing platforms Medium and Thrive Global. Most recently, Debbie is a founder of Edge Women Speakers. Debbie, welcome to the show. Thank you, Tina. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited too. We've got a lot of really interesting and provocative material to cover and I'm really looking forward to it. So let's start our conversation by setting some context for our listeners. We'd love to hear a little bit more about your background and how your professional path has evolved. Well, as you know, I started out actually as an electrical engineer and I had a whole different business going on and my mom was diagnosed with a rare form of cancer and there was nothing with Western medicine that they could do for her. When we were up at Mayo Clinic, the social worker suggested to her that she look into biofeedback. So when we came home, we found someone at Loyola University actually who was doing biofeedback and she started seeing him and it was unbelievable, Tina. I would take her to her appointments and she would be so weak. Sometimes she couldn't even get out of the car. We had to help her. Sometimes we'd have to get her a wheelchair. And then at the end of that hour, I'd be sitting at the end of the hallway waiting and I would hear this familiar cadence of heels coming towards me. And she would say, okay, let's go to lunch first. And then we're going shopping. Oh my goodness. Wow. I would think, I know I'm like, what is he doing to you while you're down there? And like, can I get some? Because (laughs) I I was one of her caretakers. I was exhausted and it was unbelievable. So 
It really kind of woke a lot up in me. When I was an engineer, I managed to give myself ulcers in college. No help from anybody else. I learned how to do that all by myself. And um, (laughs) I was aware of how sick we can make ourselves with our mind, but nobody ever teaches us how to help ourselves, you know, how how to make ourselves feel better. And so I kind of put that away in the back of my mind and thought, one of these days I'm going to, I'm going to need that. I want to be able to help somebody as much as Pete helped my mom. And it, it, it just progressively, you know, that he helped her sleep. He helped her deal with stress. She wound up putting herself into remission strictly with the power of her mind because she wasn't doing anything else. It was, it was amazing. And so that was what actually brought me this direction was when I had reached a high point in my other career, I thought it's time to go back to school and learn how to do this right and get certified and really start helping people with it. So that was kind of what sent me this direction initially. Just to set some context for those listeners that we have in our audience who may not know exactly what biofeedback looked like for your mom and what it looks like in the context of treatment. Can you just share a little bit more about what that looked like for your mom? Sure. You know, a a lot of biofeedback is what you do is use machines to see how your body responds to your thoughts, to your emotions. And so what we're doing mostly with with traditional biofeedback is we're looking at your autonomic nervous system. Your audience is probably very familiar with the whole fight or flight response that comes up a lot on the news these days. And so when you stress, whether it's psychological stress, whether it's a real fear for your life, your body goes into exactly the same reaction. And so all the blood leaves our extremities, it goes to our organs and our large muscles so we can run. So you get cold hands and cold feet whenever you get really scared. And then the whole effect starts to happen with your mind where, you know, if you're, I always just explain it to people that you think about it, if I was running for my life, you know, I don't need to be able to do complex math while I'm running, I need to be able to focus and find a place to hide. And so your brain settles down the same way. Your body goes into that full fight or flight mode. So your immune system shuts down, your kidneys shut down, all the things you don't need that suck energy go away so you can run for your life. And we're strictly in self-preservation. So what Pete was doing with her initially was all hand temperature work. Because there's a direct correlation between warming your hands and your body relaxing. And I still use that a ton with the people I work with because it's so amazing how quickly that happens. If I connected you up and we had your hand temperature and, you know, say, you know, we, I took you to the beach in your mind and we were having this great time and your hand temperature's going up and you're relaxing. And then I bring in some seagulls on the beach and you're afraid of birds. Well, immediately we watch your hand temperature just dive. Wow. That's interesting. I never noticed that about the, you know, adrenaline rush or the fight or flight thing that, that that's one of the physiological impacts. Yeah. It's amazing. And it's, it, it amazed me in the beginning how quickly it happens. It always amazes my clients. It only takes a moment for your body to go into that reaction mode. So he started using those kinds of tools with her heart rate variability or muscle tension, looking at her autonomic nervous system so that she gained control of her stress. And she found what worked for her that would help her sleep, and help her to relax. 
And total side note, because I'm a huge sleep fanatic and I write for the Naval Institute on sleep, the thing that she was doing, and they're harder to find now, I think Target still has CD players, little ones you can put Mm -hmm. next to your bed. But if you put on music before you go to sleep, just music, not talk, a lot of times that will quiet a lot of the other thoughts. And so she had that going next to her bed. It was a cassette at the time, but Mm -hmm. she would have it running day and, you know, all night. And as soon as she would get up for whatever to go to the bathroom, she would kick that back on. So then she could get back in that state and go right back to sleep and she could sleep through the night. That's really cool. You know, I've, I've wondered about, you know, the use of music for relaxation and for sleep, and maybe we can circle back to that a bit later. We would love to hear, so clearly this was a very profound event with your mom that really, obviously, caring for her, getting her on a path to health was critically important, clearly had a profound impact on your path. What did it look like when you made the decision that you wanted to switch away from engineering and into a world of of coaching? What did you do and how did you decide to develop essentially an expertise or a framework that's based in neuroscience? Well, I signed up for a class, Tina, that was, um, they don't have it at a lot of universities and they were coming in the certification organization. And I thought I signed up for a week long course in biofeedback. And so I was going to learn all this autonomic nervous system things. This professor gets up in front of us and starts speaking about the brain. And I thought, huh, that's an interesting way to get this started, but okay, I'm in, you know, I, I wanted to learn. Well, after the day was just about over and all we had talked about was the brain the entire time, I went up to the woman who was running it and I said, I think I'm in the wrong room. And she said, oh, no, no, you signed up for neurofeedback, not bio. We're not doing biofeedback this week. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) I think it was fate that put me in that room, to be honest. Neurofeedback is actually the brainwave EEG side of biofeedback. And with neurofeedback, I use it in a lot of the same ways to find what are the best tools for people when we do performance. But on the other side, and where you hear about neurofeedback a lot more, is we also use it so that people can start training their brain to fire the way that they want it to. For some reason, you know, for a lot of us, the brain goes out of balance at some point. We never know exactly why. And so what we're looking at is a repetitive learning so that you can train your brain to its optimal level. So if you say you get distracted really easily, that's probably what it's most known for is people that have trouble focusing. And so if you have that issue and it's really a major issue for you, it's not just a one-time sort of occurrence. When we look at the brain and we look at with EEGs, how your brain is firing, we find an overabundance of slow waves firing in the brain normally. And so we need to overcome that. We need to be able to squash those. You need to be able to squash those. And so with neurofeedback, we put EEG sensors on your head that just listen to your brain firing. And then you see on the computer screen exactly what's happening. Because it's a repetitive learning, the more you fire what you want to, your brain will start to hardwire itself that way. And so through time, as you practice and as you're on target, we find that those brainwaves start to squash and you no longer have trouble paying attention. You're able to all the time be focused and concentrate. 
Very interesting. And it's clearly a basis upon which you've developed your business and your coaching style. And it's a really good segue into talking about high performance, the brain activity of somebody who's a high performing athlete or a high performing professional. Obviously, we are knee deep in COVID. We don't think what we're experiencing is going to go away anytime soon. It just continues to evolve. And I would imagine now more than ever, your skill set and what you have to offer people is so incredibly important because I think as our COVID times continue to evolve, we're seeing not just what the immediate effects were on people, but what the longer term effects are on people. When it comes to coaching people like lawyers and other high-performing professionals, can you tell us, just to set the context for our conversation, can you tell us what a high-performance brain looked like before the onset of COVID and what it looks like now? Yeah. Now is a little bit trickier um, <laughs> because it seems to be changing, like you said, by the moment. But a high-performing brain in the past has been something that a brain that's balanced, where there's not one set of brain waves that really take over all the time, that it's really a balance. But it's also the fact that you have control. So you understand how to get yourself in that state. You understand how to control those brain waves. The thing with neurofeedback and with biofeedback too is it's interesting. It's it, When my clients kind of graduate out when they're done working with us, they really leave with two things. They leave with the tools and the skills to be able to handle things but they leave with the confidence that they've got this. You know, I, I know what I can do. And so that confidence is everything. And that all comes from the data from the machines. And so when, you, when your brain is firing at a really good place, that's wonderful, more, more than, you know, half percent of the time or whatever, but things happen. And right now we see that so often where we're totally blindsided by something that just comes on. Then how do you handle that most effectively to get yourself back to that balance on a regular basis? And so those skills for that are critical. You know, when I first started in the field, I worked at Rush Behavioral Health. They were actually a client of mine, and mm -hmm. I was with their high-functioning addiction program. So all of our patients were doctors and attorneys and CEOs that had substance abuse issues. And so we saw that brain out of balance all the time, and it was how do we get it to a really good, healthy place? How do we get the best skills in our clients' hands so that they could handle things as they went back out into the world? And how were they going to handle things in the office? Because so many things really cross over. You know, when I was working, I got into high performance because some of my CEOs who had gone back to work said to me, you know, the tools you taught me to deal with my impulsivity, my anxiety, my focus over my recovery I'm using in the office. And so they wanted me to teach those same skills to the people in their office, to their top teams. And so those same challenges kind of cross over a lot. So how do you balance your brain to a good place? And then how do you get back there? I think when you talk about the athletes, 
you know, that's easier to wrap our heads around sometimes. I we I always talk about the head game because <laughs> you know, in sports that's pretty easy. You know, you you can have the best body and the best physical skill, but we see it all the time where somebody chokes just because, you know, their head's not in the right place. And it's the same thing with business. So how do you get yourself to that place more often than not once you're physically in that place? Yeah, no. And that's a really interesting parallel. And I was going to ask you that question about, it sounds like you draw very heavily from the experience you had dealing with addiction and addiction treatment. And what are the parallels? It does seem that obviously there are issues with you know, where you are mentally and the physiological aspects of, of the brain when you're talking about addiction and addiction treatment versus what happens to us physiologically and neurologically when we're under sustained stress. Can you just give our listeners a sense as to what some parallels are between the people and the patients that you saw who were um, in addiction treatment versus people who may really be suffering from COVID-related stresses? Yes. And, you know, stress is stress, the way our body takes it on and the way our brain takes it on. So that physiological basis, it's very, very similar. When I was working with the addiction program, what we saw was, you know, the, and I know you've had a number of experts on talking about addiction and talking about relapsing and the pressure that professionals are under and how that leads to their addiction challenges. But what we were looking at a lot of times was how do we get the best skills in your hand? Because stress is one of the primary reasons behind relapse, according to NIDA and the NIH. And so how do we get the best skills in your hand so that you're able to get through that with that addiction? And for a lot of people, you know, there's either, you can call it what you want, you know, they, the therapists refer to as, as co-occurring disorders, or it could be a trigger. You know, is it because you were anxious, which comes into COVID too, that, le- you know, fed into the addiction? Was it the way your brain was firing that led into that addiction? And, and that goes a little deeper into the type, but I'm not going to get into all that for you. But, you know, it, those are the same kinds of things that feed into that, that we also see in this situation right now with COVID or with any other great stressors that you have. Hence why you always hear that relapse is so much more common when somebody is under a great amount of stress. Well, and we talk about stress all the time. And it's something that I think people just, whether you're in professional services, like a doctor or a lawyer or accountant, or whether you're in another sort of profession, I think one of the things that everybody shares in common in some shape or form is stress. We've talked about it pre-COVID. We're talking about it now. And it's a fact of life that all of us seem to have resigned ourselves to having to live with. But yet the type of stress that I think we're talking about here is different in nature. Mm -hmm. Can you tell our listeners, I mean, I, I think we all have a very good sense of what stress is, but can you share with our listeners maybe some facts and information that maybe they don't know about what stress is and what its effects are? 
Sure. Well, and you know, it's so funny that you say that stress is something people are accepting now, Tina, because in the past, when I said to someone, especially high performing professionals, you know, and I said something about stress, they're like, oh, no, no, we all have stress. I know how to handle it. It's It's just stress. You just deal with it. You just get over it. So I stopped talking about stress because people see that as a weakness. So instead, I would say, let's increase your resilience. And resilience is like a superpower, you know? And so they're like, oh, I want to be more resilient. Yes, yes. No, no, I don't have stress, but I want to be more resilient, you know? And so it's so funny how you just turn those words. And all of a sudden, everybody was jumping on board with it. Well, COVID now has given stress a whole nother place. And now we're not talking about just stress, but we're talking about uncertainty and grief and we're talking about trauma. So all of a sudden stress is acceptable because everybody's under it where before people weren't necessarily talking about it as much, but that stress can affect so much. You know, like I mentioned before, I am a a fanatic about sleep only because I've seen the damage that it does and how much it can do for people. When you don't, when you're stressed, you don't sleep. When you don't sleep, you stress more. So it's this downward spiral that has to do with your sleep. And it starts to have a massive physical impact on our bodies. When COVID first really was, you know, we really heard it was coming and the doctors I work with were preparing for it. My concern was, you know, the long-term physical, mental health implications that people are going to have because of their stress. You know, it it could be as simple as the ulcers I had when I was in college, but the American Heart Association talks about stress being one of the primary drivers of heart disease. Well, that's huge. We know from the Diabetic Association and the NIH that it's a huge driver of people developing diabetes, which, you know, those are two of our biggest, you know, killers to the human race. And it has these founding footprint in stress. And so really finding some critical ways to do with that is huge. You know, it, it impacts your, your working memory. Ashcroft and uh, Kent were huge doing research in our memory and how our stress impacts that. I'm sure your listeners remember a time that they were under incredible amount of stress. And you know, all of a sudden, like uh, your name escaped me. I I couldn't find my keys. I, I, where was I going again? You know, why am I downstairs? What was I going to grab out of the kitchen? You know? And so that stress impacts our memory in a huge way and it impacts our mental health. And we're looking at it now. We hear about it all the time on the news that it's not just your stress, but now the rates of anxiety, the rates of trauma that people are experiencing. And really at the basic level, it's the stress that's feeding this. So if we can find some good ways to cope with that stress and calm that a little bit, we can start to really curtail it and cut it off before it becomes overwhelming. Let's take 30 seconds to address something that you've mentioned a couple of times now, which is the importance of sleep and what a what a big proponent you are of sleep. I actually have one of those biometric rings now that I've been wearing the past month to really try to gain some insight into various aspects of my health, including my my sleep. How much sleep should we be getting? And for those who are having issues with sleeping, you had mentioned that your mom, for example, listened to music um, as a way to help facilitate her falling asleep and staying asleep. 
Do you have any advice for our listeners as to how much sleep they should be getting and ways for them to ensure that they do get at least a reasonable amount of sleep on a consistent basis? I do. Um, I, I, and I, I'm fascinated to learn more about the ring that you have and, and how that's working. How long have you been using it? I've been using it for a month. It's the Aura Ring. Um, It was actually a really good friend of mine who actually told me about it about a month ago that he's been wearing it for about a year now and is participating in a sleep study. I, I think you may have seen the press that it's the official ring, I think, or biometric device of the NBA. The the players are wearing it because they are conducting studies and looking at all the different types of biometric data and the potential linkages with um, COVID diagnosis. Mm. But I just I've had issues with sleeping, and I knew I wanted to try to get my arms around what happens at night when I'm asleep, or what doesn't happen at night when I'm supposed to be asleep. And so, so far it's been great because it just gives me insight into what they call my readiness factor for any given day. And obviously it's based on sleep, but it's also based on a certain activity level and it measures my heart rate. It measures my body temperature. And so I've really enjoyed getting a little bit more comfort around what my body's doing, because I think with knowledge comes power and strength and being able to to change, which I think is a lot of what you're saying. Mm-hmm. And, and, and so that's what I've been up to, which is why, you know, I'm all the more fascinated about our, about our discussion and some of, a lot of what you've been saying about sleep and so forth, because I think it is critically important. Oh, that's so great. Yes. And if we can figure out where the bumps are in our sleep, you know, even if it's as simple as somebody who says, I think I'm sleeping okay, but I wake up in the morning and I'm not rested. You know, it's really digging into those things. Sleep is so critical for so much, as you know. I think when we're, you know, younger, and I'm, thank goodness, I don't hear it very often, but occasionally I'll st- he'll still hear an executive say, oh, no, no, I'll sleep when I'm dead. And I'm like, you know, but research shows you die faster if you don't sleep well and you don't, you know, and you don't get quality sleep. And so it's a, it's a little bit more important than that. It's not just a quiet time for us. The National, the National Sleep Foundation actually had just a couple of years ago re-looked at their numbers and they brought in a multitude of scientists and doctors to go over over 300 sleep publications and see if things have changed, if the numbers had changed. And indeed, they found that it was the same. Seven to nine hours of sleep for an adult is key to function. The latest research I saw come out, which I found fascinating, you know, like if you went to sleep and just whenever you woke up, like on Sunday morning, you know, if you didn't set an alarm, if you just woke up, what does your body optimally do? You know, if it is it seven, is it eight? But what they found in this latest research on the memory is that last two hours. So if you're a, a healthy sleep for you is eight. Mm-hmm. From six to eight hours is when your memory actually consolidates. Your short-term memory consolidates to long. We knew it did it during the night, but we didn't realize that it was in those last two hours. So if you're constantly cutting yourself short on your sleep, you're seeing that memory start to impact. And clients tell me that all the time when they come in the office. That's one of my standard questions is, you know, how is your memory? How are you sleeping? And they're like, oh, my memory's terrible. I'm not sleeping well. Well, they're directly correlated because if you're not able to make it through that night, you have great short-term memories, but they don't actually turn into long-term memories. It'd be, you know, so you're not keeping those memories and not storing them. And more and the more of the research now is showing that, you know, if you 
read something a couple hours before you go to bed, it's going to be ingrained in your memory a little bit better than if you read it at two o'clock in the afternoon. And so things that you're priming your brain to be able to keep those things when you sleep well. And so just for our cognitive functioning, sleep is so important for us. I'm sure you've seen it when, you know, maybe had a coworker or a friend who, was kind of short with you, her, maybe her temper wasn't doing well that day or for a few days. And then when you talk, you find out, you know, maybe they have a new baby at home. They, what, for whatever reason, the neighbor's been making a lot of noise. They're not getting a lot of sleep. And so you start to see that impact on their performance immediately when people are super tired and they're not able to sleep well. So it's really critical for us to get that sleep. And the, you know, the easiest way, Tina, and it's, it's funny that, you know, I, I even have, I even say this, but if you know, you have to get up at five o'clock in the morning every day because you're going to work out and go to work or whatever, well then just count back that amount of hours and go to bed. You know, because we all seem to, I know. <laughs> it, it sounds so simple, but it, but yet it's so elusive, right? It is. It is. Because there's always one more thing I want to read or one thing I didn't finish that let me do that. And it's midnight and I'm going to finish that one paper. You know, it's like, just go to bed and, and get the sleep so that you can function in the morning. But it makes such a huge difference for us. There's such a strong component of our sleep. Again, it contributes to our heart disease. It contributes to so many physical ailments that we have. Our brain cleans all the extra gunk out of it during the night. So all those extra residual things that are happening in our brain that we don't need are cleaned out at night. So we need to be able to have that sleep time just to be able to get rid of that. The neurogenesis, you know, which is what neurofeedback is based on, how we make new connections as we get older, that happens during the night. They found that the gray matter in our brain, which contributes to Alzheimer's and memory loss conditions, that happens during the night. So we need to be able to get that sleep just to be able to function on that higher level with our brain, but it's also when our immune system builds. So if you think about it, you know, we, we always hear about that. Like if you, if you have COVID, if you have the symptoms, or if you just had the flu or a cold or whatever, the doctors always say sleep, you know, get sleep. Your mom probably told you that if you had a cold, you know, you mm -hmm. get some sleep. Well, it's when our immune system works and that's when we fight things. And so I was just out for lunch yesterday with a friend who is in chemotherapy who was really tired. And I'm like, just go to bed because the sleep, obviously, if you're tired, you need that. And your body is trying to heal. I, I've had, um, when I start, first started in biofeedback, because of my relationship with my mom and the cancer, I have volunteered a lot with cancer groups and with Gilda's Club. And Gilda's Club sent me to Northwestern Hospital to the stem cell unit. And they brought in all these patients in their wheelchairs. And we were going to do something just to help them start dealing with their stress a little bit. <laughs> well, after about 10 minutes, Tina, only the woman from Gilda's Club and I were the only two awake. Everybody else was sound asleep. And wow. I always laugh. <laughs> if you come see me speak and you fall asleep, I am the only person you'll see that's like all good with that. I'm like, obviously you need sleep. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so if I put you to sleep while I talk, oh, we've accomplished something here. You know, it's okay. <laughs> that's so cool. That's so cool. Well, I'll remember that the next time I come and see you speak. Exactly. Yeah. Try to stay awake. But if you don't, it's good. I will. <laughs> <laughs> 
So our time together in this first segment is almost up. It's crazy how quickly the time's going by. Do you have any final thoughts to round out the first part of our conversation? And where can our listeners find you? You know, I would love to tell you something really quick. When COVID first started, because of my training and my expertise, my first thoughts were this disease is, this virus is horrible, what it does. But the long-term physical and emotional and mental health implications for our whole society frightened me, you know, of all these things we talked about. And so I began something that's called the brain pause. There's, you know, I received so many emails, so much content nonstop. They were relentless with, you know, 400 ways to work from home and 127 ways to handle your stress and watch this one hour video or take this six week course. Or I, I wasn't stressed, but then I was reading all this stuff. So I started something on my social media called the brain pause and the copy is the same every day. So you don't have to do anything. Your listeners can find it on, it happens on, on LinkedIn. If you connect to me on LinkedIn, it happens twice a week now, but on Instagram and Facebook, or we have a mailing list, you'll get it every single day. You don't read anything. You don't click on anything. It's just a really calm photo or a calm video just to take that pause in your day and just settle everything down again. So I hope that your, some of your listeners will take me up on that offer and please just take advantage of it. You don't really have to sign up or anything. You just, you just use it and just enjoy it. And hopefully it can bring them a little sense of peace and quiet in their day. That sounds amazing. And we'll include a link to that in the show notes. Where can folks find you? Do you have a website that folks can look for you at? And what are your LinkedIn handles? and yes. social media handles. Optimal Edge Performance is the name of the company. And so the website is optimal-edgeperformance.com. So it's optimal-ep.com. So they can go to the website. You have my last name. It, it's a mouthful. Um, if somebody wants to come <laughs> to LinkedIn... <laughs> I'm happy to connect with any of your listeners who want to connect up. And Optimal Edge also has a LinkedIn page. We have a Facebook page. So I can give you all that in your show notes and people can follow us there. And also on Instagram, I actually have it under my personal Instagram. So people can follow that, which is just my name and they can follow it there. Perfect. Well, I've really enjoyed the first part of our conversation and I'm very much looking forward to continuing to chat. Thank you so much, Tina. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Paradigm Shift. We hope that you've enjoyed part one of our conversation with Debbie Viscochel and that you will join us next week for part two of our conversation. I'm your host, Christina Martini. Please look for our weekly episodes every Tuesday. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please rate and recommend us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Please visit us at www.paradigmshiftshow.com. We would love to hear from you. Please look for new episodes of Paradigm Shift every Tuesday.